0: Father, we ask um, as we prepare tonight to partake of the Lord's Supper and and as we look at Your Word uh, and consider the passage that we'll be looking at, we we pray, Lord, that You give us understanding. Lord, enable us to uh, come uh, come to this proclamation of Your Word and before Your table with true thanksgiving gratitude for what you've done in our behalf, and a true desire to fellowship with you on a deeper level. Lord, we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn back to um, John 11, and uh, I kind of... I unintentionally misled you this morning, because I told you we were going to move on, and I'm not going to move on, uh, not exactly. Um, a couple of things that I, I had wanted to look at this morning, I did not get to. And I thought it would be good to... Uh, well, I thought they were worth you know, worth going back and considering, and it would be good to help us in preparation for the for the Lord's Supper. So I want to do that tonight. Um, and I'm, I'm talking specifically about uh, the section here where, where Caiaphas, the high priest, um, actually prophesized, uh concerning Jesus. And I, I just want to look at that a little closer because, as I, as I mentioned this morning, there are two things going on here. One, Caiaphas is making a statement that... Uh, and his mind means one thing and, and expresses his intentions. And, of course, he's doing that um, knowingly. But also, um, he's making a statement that expresses God's intention and means something that God means that is quite different from what Caiaphas means. Now, of course, he's doing that unwittingly. He doesn't. Uh, Caiaphas doesn't realize that he's doing that. But John tells us that he is. So let me go back and read that passage again. And then, as I said, I want to uh, just just look at it a little bit. Uh, the truth behind it. Um, remember, this is when the chief priests and the Pharisees and Caiaphas, the high priest, all come together. They they call together a council. And um, verse forty nine. This is where where Caiaphas makes his statement and. Of course, like I said, we read it all this morning, so we've kind of got the background. But verse 49, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing. All right, and incidentally, that, that statement, that, uh, he was high priest that year. John makes that statement three times in the Gospel, twice here, 49, and I think it's verse 51. And then he does it again in chapter 18. The point he's making is that Caiaphas was, um, was serving as high priest that year that Jesus was crucified. Um, so, um, John makes a point of that, maybe just because it was uh, on the Day of Atonement, it was the, uh, the high priest who had the responsibility to go in and offer the sacrifice before the Lord. First, he would offer sacrifice for his own sins and then for the sins of the nation. And in a sense, quite different sense, but nonetheless, in, in one sense, Caiaphas is... Is, is as high priest is offering Jesus here. Now, he's, he's doing it with with bad uh, motivations, but but nonetheless, he is, uh, he is the one setting the, the course here, determining the death of, of Jesus, um, which it goes on to say in verse 53, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And that's under the leadership of Caiaphas, the high priest. All right, so verse... Uh, again, verse 49, Caiaphas says to the, other, to the rest of the council, you know nothing at all. Now, they're, they're disturbed because Jesus is getting followers. And, uh, and then Caiaphas interjects these words. Verse 50, Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should Perish. It's better that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. So, so it's the idea of a, of a scapegoat. You know, somebody's going to perish. It's better that one person perish than, than the whole of the people. And somehow Caiaphas has this worked out in his head that Jesus can, uh, can serve that purpose here. Now, what I mentioned this morning, I think his idea is just um, he's willing to let an innocent man die to save the nation from, from trouble, from trouble from the Romans and so forth. Uh, he's not thinking of this in any righteous manner, like the substitutionary atoning death of Christ like you and I think of it. Uh, but, but nevertheless, it is, as he says, one man dying so that the whole nation doesn't perish. Now, John gives this explanation in verse 51. He did not say this on his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And that would be the nation of Israel, of course. But then John also says this, and not only for the nation, or not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So here's here's a couple things I want us to consider before we uh, take of the Lord's Supper and, and while we're thinking about this passage. Um, there's one... Savior, and I think this is this is the point behind this. This is God's point behind this statement that Caiaphas makes. There's one Savior, and there's one people. One Savior, one people, and the people are one. So let me let me start with one Savior, and just uh, give you some references here that I think uh, help us help us think about this. Christ is dying here according to this prophecy for the nation and not for the nation only but for all of God's people scattered abroad that they might be brought together in one. So Christ is accomplishing this once for all death that would cover the sins of all of God's people reconciling them to God and would at the same time bring all of them, that is, the nation of Israel, the Jews, the believer, the Jewish believers, and all of God's people who are scattered abroad, that would bring them all together as one people. So, Hebrews 7.26, uh, for example, concerning the atonement, says this, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for, for, his own, uh, for His own sins and then for those of the people, since He did this once for all when He offered up Himself. And then again in Hebrews 9, verse 26, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And then Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 every And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God waiting for that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being saved. And Hebrews 10.26, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now, I I think... Let me say this about that passage. I think the main point in that and what the writer of Hebrews is saying there, and this is why I wanted to mention it, is that there is one sacrifice
1: for our sins.
0: Period. doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile what nationality, what ethnicity, what culture. There's one sacrifice for sin. So if we reject, and I think this is his point, if we reject what Jesus did at Calvary, then there is nothing for us but fearful expectation of judgment. In Galatians 3, 13 and 14, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Now, and that one hints at uh, the one people which I'll come back to in a moment. Um, but again, the point is there's one sacrifice for sins for all people regardless of ethnicity, nationality, skin color, um, you know, straight teeth, crooked teeth, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. There's one sacrifice for sins for all people. There is no other acceptable sacrifice. And I think that's basically what John is expressing in verse 51. Um, verse 51 and 52. He prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Now, if you think about this, this is not the first time we've seen that concept. I mean, this has been, this has been coming at us all along. This is another one of those things. John keeps, keeps zeroing in on the fact that Jesus is the Christ, right? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Well, another thing that he keeps zeroing in on is that Jesus is the only sacrifice for sin. So, for example, you go all the way back to chapter 1, and uh, we have there the record of John the Baptist seeing Jesus for the first time. And verse 35 says, the next day again John was uh, standing, whoop, got ahead of myself, verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, that is John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, so you can see, not for one nation only, but so that, um, or, or for not for the nation only, but to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. That is the whole world. He, he's the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. All right. In chapter three, you may have heard this verse before, verse sixteen. Um, especially if you watch sporting events, probably, probably seen it, wrestling or something like that. You know, <laughs> they used to have a wrestler, Austin 316 or something. I never, I never did get that. I don't know what the purpose was of that. But at any rate, um, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. All right, first, um, first phrase there. For God so loved. The world, for, Or for God loved the world in this manner is really the idea there. It, God in this manner loved the world. The world. And that's an astonishing truth, especially when you think of the fact that most of the time when John uses the term world, and it, and it does kind of have a broad semantic range. I mean, it can mean various things. You, you always have to look closely at the t- context. But when John uses the term world, it's in a negative sense. For example, irony of ironies here. 1 John, same author, tells us, don't love the world. <laughs> don't love the world. Now here in, in chapter 316 of his gospel, he says, God loved the world. God loved the world say, well, does He mean two different things there? Well, yes and no. I mean, yes, in in one way, but I I do think He is saying, I mean, we're all sinners, right? So in spite of the fact that we're all sinners, and before Christ we were all part of that ungodly worldly system, in spite of that, while we were yet sinners, God loved us. And Christ died for us. God loved the world in this manner, that He gave His own only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So, who did He give His Son to save? The world. The world. Not for, not for the nation only. That is, the nation of Israel. Not for the nation of Israel only. Not for the Jews only. But so that all of God's people, scattered abroad, would be brought together in one. You see the same thing again in chapter 4. Jesus has a discussion with a woman at the well, and then she runs back, um, probably the first Christian evangelist here, she runs back to, the, <laughs> to tell the, to tell the uh, neighborhood, to tell her people about this man who's told her everything about herself. And they come back, and they hear Jesus, and many of them believe. Now, if you look in uh, verse... Verse 39, many Samaritans, chapter 4, verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that he told me all that um, I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, "It is no longer because of what you said that we believe." For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. So again, John's putting the idea out there that there's there's one sacrifice for sins. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Let me give you one more here um, from, uh, from chapter 10. Jesus is talking about Himself being the good shepherd and about uh, His sheep, of course, believers. Um, I lay down my life for the sheep. Let's see, chapter 10, verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. Now... Let me suggest this. I know that's a that's a little bit uh, of a, of an enigma there, you know, a little bit mysterious. But but really, I don't think it's that, that hard to um, to understand what what John is saying uh, or what Jesus is saying here. Um, the other sheep, I think, is a reference to the Gentile world. Jesus is first talking about the Jews and. His own sheep, those who, those who believe him among the Jews, being his own sheep. But then he, he says, I also have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also. The idea of not of this fold, he's probably referring to outside the Jewish community. The Jews, and he's, I mean the, the Gentiles. And he's saying, I've got to bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. Now, that harmonizes quite well with what uh, John is saying over here in chapter 11. Not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And that's what Christ has accomplished in His death. I was going to go to Ephesians 2, but I won't for the sake of time. But there He just talks about bringing... Jew and Gentile together making one new man. So there's one sacrifice for sins for the whole world, and that's Jesus. There's no other. And he sacrificed himself for his people which are made up of people from all nations. That that group called his his people, those that the father gave Him before the foundation of the world. Those whom He promised He would not turn away and would raise up at the last day. Those whom He died for, His sheep whom He laid down His life for, are one people. And He's bringing them together, Jew and Gentile. In His his death, He takes away our sin he reconciles us to God and He brings us together, Jew and Gentile, as one people so that we are indeed one. So John says, first, Caiaphas says, It is better that one man should die for the people not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of His own accord, John says, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God, who are scattered abroad. Now, there's one other thing hinted at there, um, and that is the fact that God knows His people. He's bringing together as one the people of God who are scattered abroad. And and As I mentioned this morning, we've been seeing this contrast all the way through here between the people of the world and the people of God. Well, Christ comes and goes to the cross as the only sacrifice for sins, not just for one nation, not just for one area of the planet, but for all people and and brings to Himself all believers out of all people globally to Himself and makes one family, one body out of all Jews, all believing Jews and all believing non-Jews, we're brought together in unity to form one body. One sacrifice for sins, one Savior, one people. And the people are one. Brothers, if if you all come and prepare to serve, um, I will... Uh, do what I customarily do here, and that's read from 1 Corinthians 11. Read this from 1 Corinthians 11 and then we'll pray. Verse 23, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we, would, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be, be condemned along with the world. Heavenly Father, uh, again... We come before Your throne of grace. Lord, thanking You for Your mercy towards us. Asking, Lord, now for Your blessing on the elements that are before us, the bread and the juice. Lord, asking that You prepare our hearts to do what You've instructed us to do here. To partake of these elements in remembrance of You as a showing of Your death until You come. Father, we're so thankful for fellowship with You. We're so thankful for salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, after blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Let's eat together. And He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. Which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink together. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? Um, Men, we need to meet briefly. Um, this is our executive board meeting tonight, um, and I apologize for not mentioning that earlier. But, uh, but uh, if you can stay, uh, we'll be quick. We'll be brief. Let's we'll make a point to. Let's pray. Brother Carl, you mind leading us in a word of prayer?